Coming up on This Week in Games, Microsoft announces their cloud gaming service. Two big acquisition rumors. Ooh. And the South Korean esports giant invades North America. Coming up This Week in Games. Welcome to This Week in Games. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and this is a big week with some juicy rumors, and I hope I don't get sued for reporting them. (laughs) First up, let's get to the news. Microsoft officially announces their cloud gaming service titled Project xCloud. Not the best name in the world, but pretty straightforward. They put an X in front of cloud gaming, xCloud. I mean, (laughs) you guys get it. Um, but I'm glad Microsoft is going with cloud gaming and not game streaming because the former sounds pretty stupid. Microsoft is planning on a public beta test in 2017. They haven't announced exactly when or with what game, but they did release some prototype pictures of people playing like Forza on tablets or Forza on like phones attached to Xbox controllers. Microsoft is also saying xCloud will be possible on current 4G networks, but hopes to utilize and mainly run on 5G in the future. I'm pretty sure Google announcing last week forced their hand to announce Project uh, xCloud earlier than they would like. Um, I've already leaked twice about Microsoft's first-party subscription service in the future with cloud gaming and a new console. So it definitely makes sense that they should just go ahead and announce with Google announcing first. The stock hasn't moved very much since the announcement, so it looks like no one's really that surprised that it was happening to begin with. And frankly, out of every company that can easily implement cloud gaming, and those are Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, who just have the farms of GPUs, Microsoft is the only one with many, many developer studios, many first-party IPs, many games being made by those development studios, and a long history of success in the game industry. Really, this is their battle to lose, and they just need to have a competitive service and quality in the cloud gaming markets there. So, not to be outdone, (laughs) Sony pathetically doesn't announce but confirms a PlayStation 5. So, (laughs) I think it was the Financial Times reports. Sony CEO Kenichiro Yoshida tells... Oh, told us the Financial Times. At this point, what I can say is it's necessary to have a next-generation hardware. Oh, thank you, Yoshida. Thank you very much. This is a very no-dub moment. But the problem is Sony better milk PlayStation streaming and Gaikai as much as possible and actually get something like competitive up and running, or else they're going to have to pay Google or someone to run their cloud gaming services because it doesn't look good for them. Cloud gaming is the future. You're not going to be able to charge another $450 gaming console when other companies are charging $100 for little USB sticks and then a $15 to $25 a month subscription service to play all the games you want. Like No one's going to buy a $450 console and $60 games after that. Not looking good, Sony. Um, So next up, Facebook is testing its streaming app that also includes Messenger games. Oh, this is a mess. So Facebook's gaming platform, FB.GG, is coming to mobile, mainly Android, where users can stream whatever the hell is being streamed on Facebook games, as well as play Facebook Messenger games. This is apparently Facebook's big push for gaming. But I don't really know who the target user is. So... Nobody watches FB.GG. They bought a few exclusive, like, esports leagues. I think one of them was, like, Smite, uh, maybe Paladins as well. You know, 
second, third tier esports. Nobody watches FB.GG. And also, the people who play Messenger games already play Messenger games on another app. And that app's called Facebook Messenger. So I really don't see what the point of this new app is. It seems really lazy and disjoint. But, you know, PlayStation says, I mean, Facebook just has money. And they need to light it on fire. And it sounds better to light money on fire in the game space. <laughs> so go for it. And speaking of lighting money on fire, Magic Leap holds a convention and things don't look very good over there. So I will recommend Kotaku ran a great story on the Magic Leap convention called the Magic Leap Con. (laughs) And uh, if you want a good laugh, go read that. But let me run down some numbers. So Magic Leap is valued at $6 billion. It's raised $2.6 billion in cash alone. And Magic Leap recently released their first piece of hardware, a mixed reality device called the Magic Leap One, costing $2,295. This is ridiculous. And the CEO seems stunned that no one wants to buy this product. He just doesn't understand it. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's a great story, I'm telling you. So really, this is like one of the biggest hype products of all times. I remember, I think it was 2012, maybe 2013, when they released their first video, and it was a person, and their hand was closed and clenched, and then they slowly opened it, and there's an elephant standing in their hand, like a perfectly rendered, lifelike elephant in someone's hand, and they were like, magic leap. (laughs) And $500 million from Google went to magic leap just for that video alone. It's so sad. And Apparently, the product, I haven't used it, fails on every single deliverable. And once again, it costs $2,300, people. $2,300 for a failing product. What? Why would a developer make anything for this? You know, you have a market size of about 100 people. It's going to cost you more money than you could ever make just to buy devices to develop on. It's just, it's so bonkers. I can go into detail, but there's no point. But... We have some more quotes because also at the Magic Leap Con, CEO Ronnie Abowitz says he wants to go public and he wants to fiercely avoid a hostile takeover of Magic Leap. Well, don't worry, Ronnie. I don't think you have to worry about a hostile takeover coming anytime soon. Um, But going public seems a little bit ambitious. Let's focus on getting the price of the devices down to a few hundred dollars and then we'll talk. All right, next up. John Carmack, famed, you know, Doom programmer, game industry extraordinaire. John Carmack and id Software's owner, Zenimax, have ended their legal dispute. So the legal dispute, no use to droll over the facts, is mainly over John Carmack trying to cash out his id Software stock when Zenimax purchased the company in 2009. So Carmack tried to convert a promissory note plus his existing stock at a 45 a share price but ZeniMax wouldn't comply and his stock ended up cashing out at a much lower price which came after the ZeniMax purchase um this is a different lawsuit than the more famous lawsuit which is ZeniMax suing oculus for intellectual theft claiming john carmack stole a bunch of files and code and brought it over to facebook yeah i'm glad john Mac- carmack's getting paid he deserves it um, I don't really know what Zenimax was trying to pull. It seems pretty blatant if you read through the lawsuit that he was legally promised a certain stock price and they tried to pay him less. I don't know. Who knows? 
All right, next up. Improbable launches a new spatial OS GDK for Unity developers. Now, this would be a bigger story any other week, but I'll give you a too long didn't read. Improbable is releasing a new kind of like developer kit for Unity. The demo project alone easily handles 200 first-person player shooters all playing in the same map very little to no lag simultaneously that's huge i'm really excited about what spatial OS is going to do in the future i really like how they basically commoditize synchronized gameplay on an mmo and that's no easy feat to be honest and uh yeah let's see who uh who starts using them next they have a few developers out there but the problem is is i no one's actually delivered on spatial OS yet. Everyone's implemented it. And then, you know, MMOs cost hundreds of millions of dollars. So you have these companies that raise $10 million, promise some MMO that they don't have the talent or the depth of the player bench to possibly pull off. And then use spatial OS. So spatial OS really needs like their first like superstar developer to come out, knock it out of the park and show what the technology can do. All right, next up, Nielsen releases their holidays most anticipated game list. So apparently this is a thing. The television numbers giant Nielsen, who's known for like, oh, this television show got 90% of the 18 to 35 male demographic at 8 p.m. on Thursday. That, that type of crap. Nelson releases a most anticipated Hollywood games list. And here's the top five multi-platform games for 2019 at number one call of duty black ops 4 number two red dead redemption 2 number three battlefield 5 number four fallout 76 number five assassin's creed odyssey now you might say oh why isn't super smash brothers ultimate on the list well because it's switch exclusive which it's number one on the switch only game releases which is very obvious if you had to kind of merge the list it looks like super smash brothers ultimate would be somewhere in the top three it's hard to say um, I guess the most interesting thing about this list is RDR2's second place finish, the Call of Duty Black Ops 4. But let's say Nielsen is exactly known for accuracy, especially in the digital age. So this could very well be a horseshit list. Who knows? And speaking of analytics companies, Superdata releases a new Superdata Arena tool. So Superdata Arena will measure streaming video, social media streaming, and virality across a large number of platforms like Twitch, YouTube, Facebook streaming videos, and so on. This helps developers kind of like measure the return on investment for various media campaigns that go across various media paradigms. It sounds really boring and blah, 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 you know, B2B tools. This is very useful for game companies, especially mid-sized companies that need to get the biggest bang for whatever little advertising money they have. Pretty good tool, I'd say, you know, check it out if that sounds like something you do for a living. And finally, Microsoft pulled Minecraft from Apple TV. So Microsoft accesses the Minecraft Apple TV app, which apparently has been live since 2016. So uh, it's a big loss for the five of you out there that use Apple TV as your primary Minecraft device. Um, please don't do that anymore. Now, let's get to the business news for the week. This is all rumor mill stuff. I can't back up any of these claims, okay? But let's go through it. 
Rumor mill number one, Microsoft allegedly close to finalizing a deal to purchase Obsidian Entertainment. This is big news. So Kotaku is the major main uh, media source reporting this. They've reported that three people close to the deal have said it's all but done, reiterating like very much so this deal is done. It just hasn't been inked. Obsidian is best known for the two games Knights of the Old Republic 2 in 2004 and Fallout New Vegas in 2010 both of which are sequel games where they worked on other game companies' IPs and series. But after those two, they recently went off on their own game series, Pillars of Eternity, and then followed that up with a few other games. Now, this would be the fifth major big developer Microsoft purchased this year, including Playground, who make Forza Horizon, and Ninja Theory, who made Hellblade. The rumors reporting Microsoft is strategically looking to boost its PC gaming division which if you guys remember last year, Microsoft announced that most first-party games were released simultaneously on PC as well as on Xbox. Obsidian, you know, it makes sense for them. They've been very close to bankruptcy in 2012, and they're probably not the most profitable studio right now. I'm just making this up. I, I have no ties to their finances, but this deal basically solidifies their financial future. Obsidian has a few deals inked with other publishers, including 2K's private label, so I don't really know what happens to those deals. You know, do they get absolved? Does Microsoft take them over? Does Microsoft have to pay out 2K? Who knows, you know, but this is amazing for both parties. Obsidian clearly just wants to make their own great RPGs and not take on IP work for higher jobs to fund their passion projects. They just want to make their passion projects. Microsoft needs more PC games, and Microsoft really doesn't have an RPG specialist, and it's uh, kind of like wings of mini developers that they own. So great job for both companies if it goes through. I'm really excited. Next up, rumor mill, <laughs> Ubisoft in talks to buy Zynga. So this is reported by Bloomberg. This doesn't have the same kind of like legs as the Obsidian Microsoft deal, but it's interesting nonetheless. So for those of you guys who don't remember, Vivendi sold their 5% stake in Ubisoft to Tencent, which is one of the gatekeepers in China. Okay, if you want to release a mobile game in China, best bet is Tencent. Okay, Ubisoft could buy Zynga and then leverage their Tencent stake to get Zynga games in China. It makes sense. It's amazing. The main hurdle, however, is, you know, generally when you buy out companies, you pay a 20% markup on their market cap. Zynga's market cap is 3.6-ish you know, billion, so that would put it over 4 billion. Ubisoft don't have $4 billion in cash to blow on this. So Bloomberg reports that likely it would require Ubisoft to do a 50-50 stock cash deal and borrow upwards of $2 billion in cash against their leveraged assets that they already own. That's basically like taking $2 billion in debt and putting up whatever assets the company has as collateral. Very risky. I don't know. I'm not that smart when it comes to finances and accounting, but that's very risky. Seems expensive, but Zynga does seem to have three main games that are just constant steady cash inflow. I think they're uh, CSR2, Words with Friends, and Zynga Poker. Always in top performing grossing revenue on iOS and Android. Every stock earnings call, Zynga calls in them their three ever game games. Makes sense. Okay. The other part of the rumor is that EA is also talking to Zynga to be bought out, which kind of makes sense because Zynga's CEO, Frank Jabot, 
his alma mater is EA, where he was SVP of mobile games. This article, though, leads me to believe Chabot is actually shopping Zynga around after turning its financial kind of like down spiral into a positive, and that Ubisoft is really the most beneficial purchaser, but not necessarily the closest to inking a deal with Zynga. I could definitely see Zynga's board looking to finally get that long payoff. I mean, they've been with Zynga forever. If you guys don't remember, Zynga's stock right now fluctuates between like three and a half and four and a half dollars. At one point, it was $18 during the IPO, and it was probably even higher evaluated when it was still private. So there's a lot of people who've been playing the long game to finally get their Zynga money. The Ubisoft deal does make sense, but so does the EA deal. And pretty much any major publisher buying out Zynga makes sense. So Activision Blizzard show that owning a mobile giant is beneficial to the overall market value after they purchased King in 2016, which they purchased King for $5.9 billion, much higher than Zynga. And ever since that purchase, their stock value has doubled. So, you know, you can't say it's definitely due to King, but King having Candy Crush Saga making whatever, like a million dollars a day, and revenue certainly doesn't hurt. All right, next up. South Korean esports network OGN announces a $100 million North American investment. So this is part of an investment with a partnership with PUBG Corp to co-produce its National PUBG League, or NPL. So in South Korea, OGN is one of the big main, like, kind of, like, esports network. You can think of them like the ESPN for esports in South Korea. They mainly... You know, their programming is mainly consists of StarCraft and League of Legends. And OGN has begun construction on a 35,000 square foot arena in Manhattan Beach, California, that will host the NPL and other esports events. I'll say I'm pretty surprised it's taken this far, like, this far and long for Chinese and Korean esports companies to kind of, like, come to the U.S., and invest in esports. So right now, there's so much money to be made in esports in North America, and it's really up to like publishers like Blizzard running their Overwatch League, grassroots movements like Evo being run for the entire fighting game community, or ESPN Plus to kind of like botch everything that has to do with esports. So it's still up for the taking. If you're a media mogul and you really think you can pull it off, you might as well take a shot at esports at this point. You know someone's going to figure it out someone's going to frame the narrative someone's going to kind of present esports in a way it's meant to be proceed like presented and make you know millions maybe billions of dollars so you know why not ogn who knows it's only a matter of time people i mean we we're this close to league of legends being in the olympics for god's sakes all right let's round off some business news with kind of less boring business news or more boring business news out of after those so roblox acquires packet zoom so the lego ripoff that just won't die roblox <laughs> acquires a mobile performance startup with some of that 150 million series f funding so roblox is trying really hard to go international specifically china um i'm assuming all their servers are based in the u.s so they bought this kind of like mobile performance startup that is all about optimizing uh, mobile services across large amounts of lands and i assume there's specifically so they can like court chinese publishers to bring roblox into china i just don't see it happening i'm just that's me you know don't shoot the messenger but 
All right, Epic Games acquires security firm Kamu. Helsinki-based Kamu is best known for their easy anti-cheat system, which is used by over 100 million PC players around the world. All signs point to Kamu just supporting Fortnite. Makes sense for both companies. Boring story, sorry. And finally, Bethesda opens a Russian office, and Moscow will be the new home to Bethesda Global Operations Office. Makes sense. Russia's a huge fantasy RPG market. Bethesda is the king of fantasy RPG with the Elder Scrolls franchise. Win-win for everyone. Let's get off some people news. Square Enix gets a new CMO for North America and Europe, and that is John Hynek. So he comes as the Overwatch VP of Global Publishing, also has experience with marketing at Activision. And Starbreeze, the CFO, Sebastian Alscock. I pronounced that completely wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> Steps down. This comes after the company reported a record $22.2 million pre-tax loss. Starbreeze is seeking a permanent replacement, but things aren't looking good at Starbreeze, guys. I'm sorry. And let's round that off with more bad news. I, I don't know why. I put the bad news last. Don't ask me. Infinite Esports and Entertainment lays off 19 employees, including its president. So... Infinite is most known for owning the Houston Overwatch League team. Infinite Esports lays off 19 of their 89 employees and replaces the president with the SVP of Global Partnerships. I don't really understand how esports teams make money. I don't know how one esports team can support 89 employees that aren't the players. I don't I don't really get this people. This seems like a disaster and it seems like everyone in the Overwatch League is hemorrhaging money due to like crazy franchise fees and overpromised revenue. I don't get it. If someone gets it, email me. I don't know. <laughs> Finally, Wave Dash Games lays off almost everyone. So these are the developers of the free-to-play fighting game Icons Combat Arena. They were unable to secure further funding, which resulted in the dismissal of most of its staff. So Icons Battle Arena is a blatant Smash Brothers clone, and after all, that's no surprise because the company is called Wave Dash, which is the name of a famous technique in Super Smash Brothers Melee. It's pretty sad. We need more independent fighting game developers. You know, we need more people chasing their dreams, and we need, you know, at least some of them surviving. But we don't need blatant Super Smash Brothers clones. And when I say blatant, I mean you can map characters one to one. Like they had a female swordsman who was. 100% Marth was just a new like model like everyone was mapped one-to-one and we don't need that in the game industry like I really wish Wave Dash would have taken the genre that they clearly love and put their own unique direction and spin on it maybe improving it maybe taking it to a more hardcore level and I support anyone chasing their dreams but don't just copy Super Smash Brothers and put new models on the characters and I say this because Wave Dash started off as making a famous mod of Super Smash Bros. Brawl called Project M, which introduced Super Smash Bros. Melee mechanics and physics into Super Smash Bros. Brawl, and then they tried to run tournaments off that game and were successful for a year or two until Nintendo shut them down. In 2017, Wave Dash raised $6 million, and, you know, they started developing this game, but were unable to get further funding, and it's really sad. But they're based in San Francisco, and let's just say finding new jobs out here for engineers and game developers isn't terribly difficult. So all the best luck to them. All right, everyone. That's this week in games. Pretty good week, if you ask me. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.